At CDW, we get speed as the new currency of success. Our team spends way too much time tending to outdated applications and software when they should be focused on driving application agility and innovation. CDW Amplified Development Services modernizes software and application development to help accelerate innovation and digital transformation. So you mean building new applications, UI, and mobile interfaces? Well, you said you needed to innovate more quickly. Oh, so he's a listener. To do more at scale, trust CDW Amplified Development Services. For 200... Yeah. I love my HBCU. And Bond? I love it, love it. I love it, love it. I love my HBCU. And man. I hope my team they won one. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. Man. I hope my team they won one. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I tune into the HBCU Sports Lab to see if my team won a loss. If they lost, I'm quiet as a mouth. But if they won, keep tab. Uh, I'ma do the dab. Yeah. Dr. Cavill, yeah. he know what he be talking about. Talkin Mike about. and Charles, Talk. they know what they be talking about. Yeah. Talkin they about. compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot. Yeah. And who's about? So listen to Professor, yes sir, yes, sir. and pay attention, cause he gon' teach a lesson. Yeah. It's Dr. Mill with Inside the HBC Sports Lab. This Sunday morning, game time as we get ready for a lot of things. Just getting in here, I want to say welcome to episode 300 of Inside the HBC Sports Lab radio show and podcast. The show that's covering the sporting HBCU dash for all things HBCU sports from institutions large and small from the NAIA to the NCAA. We share insights and information on the HBCU sports culture, HBCU athletic aesthetics to facilitate the story of athletic pro, uh, HBCU athletic programs in the business of HBCU sports. We call it HBCU sports pedagogy. I'm your host, Dr. Yadikaville, with my co-host, Mike Washington. Charles Bishop is out on assignment. He's still on the beaches somewhere in Miami getting ready for game time today. We'll talk a little bit about a game that's going to be played today, a couple of them. Um, but most of what we'll do is we'll spend our first half reviewing the game from yesterday. We'll talk about Southern and all the points that they put up. A couple of other points. We'll talk about Prairie View's big win. We're filming from our home studios and sending the signal live, as we always do, to our distribution network in the beautiful home of Texas Southern University from Houston, Texas. Let me go ahead and get it started. Mike, how you doing this morning? You're on mute, Mike. Let me go to you, B.J. Jones. How you doing this morning? Man, so far, so good, man. Good morning, uh, late night. Uh, it was good to have football back, man. We actually had some some games to look at and, and, and digest, so good morning. And we got more games today. We got three HBCU games today, so can't complain about that. It's pretty big. That's pretty big when you get in there. Let me just get in to the story before we break down some of these scores and things of that nature. I mean, top 10 games like that. What was the biggest statement you saw last night? Uh, it was probably between Tennessee State going on the road in uh, Eastern Washington and had an opportunity to pull that one off. 
between Tennessee State uh, and Prairie View. Uh, I told people at Swank Media Day, man, don't sleep on Prairie View. I understand that there were some changes in the program. A lot of those players are still there. And a lot of people had jumped on that Texas Southern hype train by them, you know, potentially representing the West. Uh, Prairie View put an a end to that <laughs> last <laughs> night. So they were impressed with uh, Prairie View and uh, Coach Bubba McDowell and their staff over there. Yeah, that was in it. Let me let me go ahead and get it out. I might do it again for Mike so he can make sure that he heard. But let me uh, apologize to all the Prairie and them players, fans, because they let me know as I was walking back. Dr. Cavill, you, you see that? And then the Texas Southern fans, boy, they were just like ready to put moving buses and everything out there. They just – they were done. Prairie fans were just like, we told you, you know, it's – let everybody know out there. So let me openly say now uh, to all those folks, I was wrong. Apologize. Prairie View, as you said, BJ Jones, they are still in the football business. And they look like they will be a part of this race all the way to the end, which will make it really uh, interesting and uh, fascinating. And we'll see them a couple of weeks against Grammy. That'll be another marker as they continue to go down. And then you get that home game against Southern, which should be really fun. But a little ahead of ourselves now to get in there, get in some of these uh, games as we talk, get Mike back in here uh, with some of this faces off. <clears throat> when you talk about the game with Southern, let's start there, the game with Southern in terms of that matchup, Florida Memorial. Obviously, there was no question about Southern would they win, but in terms of what they would be able to do, and the way they would win in that matchup. So let's break that, that that game down a little bit, B.J. Jones. What did you see in terms of that game, particularly on the offensive side of the ball? And I'm really curious about the defensive side of the ball. But let's start on the offensive side of the ball first. Well, our offensive side of the ball, Southern is going to be explosive. They're going to use every inch of the field, and they're going to go fast. Um, there is a lot, lot, lot of playmakers. Uh, on that offensive side of the football. Um, we're talking about upwards of 13, 14 uh, people had receptions on yesterday. Um, you saw how many people carried the ball. Uh, a lot of playmakers, a lot on that side of the football. And keep in mind, the the guys who were projected as starters and first-string players did not play after the first quarter. Those second screen guys did not play after the second uh, after the second quarter. So Southern went deep on both sides of the football uh, into that ball game, and it was nice to see some young guys, some, uh, some young guys kind of get some depth and, and really, and really uh, on the defensive side of football, continue to play with pride uh, to get the goose egg to get the shutout on Florida Memorial. <clears throat> When you look at some of the depth in that game, I thought it was intriguing in terms of what they were able to do on offense. They just uh, made sure there was no question. They put in, put up 42 points in the first quarter. Um, and then, as I imagine, as you talked about, they let a lot of the uh, backups play, and they still were able, even trying to run the ball. Did they run the clock in any time of the game? No, Florida Memorial, uh, it was asked um, at the half. Uh, Florida Memorial coach uh, Vietnamese said no. 
um, that he that he, that's not what he wanted. Um, and um, so that was a deal. And you know, Florida Memorial came in, and uh, there was some things said before the game by the coaching staff and players that you know uh, could be seen as disrespectful and, and so forth. So yeah. Uh, so I think that uh, the coaches were saying, "Hey, if we we'll, we'll continue to run our offense." Uh, something didn't put the ball in the air, but you know, we're just gonna continue to run the offense and let the, the cards fall where they may. Yeah, when you talk about that, while they were still part of that, as we might jump in here, they read they rushed for 397 yards amongst uh, seven players, a uh, couple of them getting almost double digits in carries. You had Morgan, Braylon Morgan getting nine for 85 yards mm-hmm. and a touchdown. Rod Sims had 10 yards, 84. I mean, 10 carries on 84 yards uh, for two touchdowns. The same with Kendrick Rhymes. Of those three, it, you think he's going to continue to run multiple backs? Or does it look like that one of those will end up being a feature back there? Oh, uh, Coach Lewis said, man, with this the running back room is deep. He's going to use all of them. Yeah, so, yeah, you're going to continue to see that. Uh, going to you, Mike, let's break down a little bit in terms of the Prairie View game. Uh, as you had your eyes on that, what were your thoughts in terms of that matchup? What did Prairie View get done uh, that stood out to you in terms of getting it done against uh, against Texas Southern 40-23 in that matchup? Uh, well, first of all, good morning. Hopefully you can hear me now, I take it, right? Yes, we can yeah, hear you now. Uh, okay, apologize for that. Had some difficulties here. Uh, for, and the other thing, it was just great to be back in a football atmosphere and environment with all the excitement. Uh, my takeaways, I, I was blown away with the, the defensive dominance of Purview A&M. I mean, you expected and you heard talk of Andrew Body and what he could do. I don't think he had over 60 total yards. Uh, they were able to dominate from start to finish. Uh, there were a few mess-ups, the opening uh, kickoff return, of course. Uh, but other than that, it was a Purview-dominated game. So, um, hats off to Prairie View. Bob, uh, Bubba McDowell had a plan. I think he channeled, channeled his inner Dion and said, he didn't say, I want some dogs. I want some cats. Go get them. <laughs> so, uh, they, and they went after him. They definitely had a spy on him all night. Uh, and they were a, and he's clearly the focal point of that Texas Southern offense. And they were not able to get anything sustainable all night. Yes, going to you, B.J. Jones, on that, as Mike alluded to, Andrew was 7 of 17 for 53 yards in the interception. Um, Texas Southern just rushed for 113 yards. Uh, obviously, receiving, they just had 53. And they did rush for two touchdowns, short field. But on that line, Prairie was just able to push Texas Southern around. I was amazed about how physical they were in the game. They rushed for 388 yards on five touchdowns. They literally pushed the ball down the field. Trazon got hurt, and the backup came in and threw a pick six, um, and they couldn't do anything after that in terms of the following. Down in Texas Southern was able to get a field goal to, you know, make it more respectable. But if it wasn't for that, it would have even been a worse blowout because um, I didn't see any way where Texas Southern was going to stop them. They got the last drive and literally pushed down the field. It was like they almost tapped out in terms of what they were able to do. So, B.J. Jones, in terms of that, you kind of talked about how impressive that was. But break it down a little more in terms of what you saw 
particular for me on the physicality on the line. So. I'm just gonna come around and say it. Texas Southern is bad up front. Um, I thought that they were improving a year ago, particularly uh, towards the uh, the latter half of of the, the season. They're bad up front. Offensive line and defensive line. They're ba- I can't stress them enough. Uh, defensively, they were bad before. They may be worse now. Um, it, it's it's. I think you have the quarterback. You have a guy that can make the plays, and they couldn't protect him. They could not protect him. It was a rough day back there for him, and it got it was so bad to the point I started getting calls. They was like, "You think Andrew Body goes into the portal after this game?" It, it was it, it was that bad, and I don't know how the Texas Southern people are feeling down there in Houston, but this cannot be a fun Sunday morning for one Clarence McKinney. No, I can tell you, as we went back into the tailgate lot, there was a lot of festivity. I mean, it rained, but people still were ready to go. They packed the stadium, 30-minute lightning delay. We got another one of those. They had to leave. Many of them still came back in. They were coming a bit, and they wanted to get it. But as you walk through their representation, from Texas Southern was there. They were ready. Uh, but a couple of them that were there afterwards, oh, man, they were fired hot, as you said, fire red hot. They were not uh, pleased about what was going on there. Let's scoop back on and go to the other side of the conference. Uh, this was a Division Two FCS matchup between Alabama State and Miles College. Uh, the score was a little closer than it was until late in the game where Miles made a later run in there. Alabama State gets it done 21 to 13. They now move to 2 and 0 widely if there's such a thing. Um, looking pretty uh, solid, at least, in terms of what they've been able to do, especially when you talk about a new coach getting in there. Let me go back to you, B.J. Jones, in terms of the start out with this Alabama State Miles College uh, as they got, got it done in that game. What did you see? Uh, as you analyze what took place between the Miles Golden Bears and the Hornets of Alabama State. Alabama State jumped up big. It was 21 nothing in the first quarter. Um, yeah, you saw Davis go out early. Um, and Miles Crawley come in, and he engineers two drives, and he jumped up, you know, 21 nothing. He actually looked good. with the actual uh, player of the game in the Labor Day Classic there was Miles Crawley. Um, and then offensively, it was like Alabama State kind of took the – took the win out of their own sales, whether it was turnovers or mm. they fumbled the ball and then they couldn't run the ball effectively or receivers couldn't get open. It They didn't look good offensively. Like, you know, I think Miles shut them out for three quarters. And then Miles just started taking advantage of, you know, different opportunities that they had and actually had the ball uh, late with an opportunity to go down the score and try to, you know, try to get the two-point conversion. So I think with Alabama State, man, you're happy to be 2-0. and Um going into UCLA next week, but they go, they have some football games coming up. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how long they can continue to push forward and get better. As you said, Demetrius Davis just had one pass, uh, 14 yards, but it was a touchdown. Miles Crowley came in there, 9 to 1,862 yards, a touchdown. Did have a costly interception where it did get a little interesting late in that game, but uh, they pretty much controlled that game. Mike, what are your thoughts on this Alabama State-Miles Golden Bears matchup? Uh, as Alabama State quietly, as I said, gets the two and zero with two nice non-conference wins. Yeah, it's a it was a quiet win. I mean, you look at you know D Davis getting hurt. Um, a couple of things stood out. I mean, you know, I was first saw this game. And I was like, all right, this is going to be an Alabama State game all the way through. 
And then you see Miles start climbing back in. And there were in, un, uh, inefficiencies on the Alabama State defense. They had uh, 10 penalties for 110 uh, yards. So I, the other thing is their defense was able to kind of hold and hold the lead. I think they only allowed Miles, what, three, three yards per pass and, and two and a half per rush or 2.7 yards per rush. You put those together to put those two functions, and that's six yards per play. So their defense basically kind of held out, but it just didn't look good going, I'd say, into the, the second half for Alabama State. They have a big opponent coming up, but, yeah, they're quietly 2-0, and and you wonder, you know, how hurt, you know, what's the status with D. Davis. But I still think if he's healthy, they're going to be a problem. Yeah, let's get into our first break. We'll get back. We'll get into some of these tough non-conference losses, particularly that Stephen F. Austin, Austin State, they're right there, just could not find a way to get it done. The Tennessee State, Eastern Washington was another game where Tennessee State looked like they offensively could do pretty much what they wanted to, but defensively couldn't get a couple of key stops uh, when they threw out that game that would have really put them in even a better position to get it done. So let's take this first break and get back and get into some of those games uh, as we move forward. Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. If you think all pads are exactly the same, think again. This is Always Ultra Thin's reinvented with the Always Triple Protection System. This pad wicks gushes 90% faster, absorbs even more so you can feel dry, and locks odors in. Rethink your pad for up to 100% leak-free and odor-free comfort with the totally reinvented Always Ultra Thins. This is always like never before. Now you can live in Texas and not have a good red meat blend. Texas Cowboy Dust is designed for steak and other red meats. It's out to be my most popular spice blend, made with onions, peppers, ground mushrooms, pink salt, and other spices. Texas Cowboy Dust also goes great with chicken, pork, vegetables, and has a restaurant-quality sheen to gravies and sauces. <laughs> It's like a loop machine. All around town, trying to get down.
press the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot left. And who the ball? So listen to Professor, yes sir, and pay attention, cause he gon' teach a lot. You seen the first Gatorade bath for uh, uh, head coach McDonald? Is he got a McDowell? I should say Bubba McDowell. Is he got it done yesterday again? They were very excited and very proud to play for him. Boy, some it was some uh, big time folks where you could tell that they had a chip on their shoulder. So it'd be fascinating to see as that continues. But let's get back in here. Let's start off with the Stephen F. Austin All Point State game. Boy, this is another one of those games where. Um, this is the one I picked if we were going to get a non-conference win in terms of against, you know, a HWCU, a historically white college university. Being at home, this is the one I thought that there was a real chance to get it. Um, and late touchdown by Stephen F. Austin. Alcorn still had two minutes left in the game and could not quite get it done to maybe uh, go down the field and put up that final winning touchdown. Either way, the defense couldn't get that key stop late that matchup and the offense couldn't get a key um, score late in the game. Mike, what are your thoughts on when you break that down? Where where did Alcorn just fall a little short in terms of not being able to finish with that? So, so if you uh, if I, I was watching the game off and on, and I was like, man, Alcorn State's gonna pull it away, you know, pull up, pull away. I think they went into the half, you know, maybe what twenty four to, to ten or something mm-hmm. like that. That was it. Yeah, and. uh you, I, I wondered if, if there was a little slippage of the defense. So I started looking at some of the stats and, you know, they were able to hold Stephen F. Austin to a smaller gainage per yard on the run and on the pass in the first half. It seemed like there was a little slip in the second, because I think uh, if you look at it in the third quarter, Stephen F. Austin, they either opened up, they opened up their offense. They scored 14, you know, pretty quick. And they, you know, I don't know if the offense sputtered. There were some inefficiencies. It seemed like the opposite happened with Alcorn offense. So it looked like two teams going uh, different directions. I mean, if you look at it, I think uh, Alcorn State had altogether 426 yards, but I believe the bulk majority of that was in the first half. So they still remain competitive, don't get me wrong. It just seemed like something happened in the second quarter that they it didn't have that same luster. Uh, their yards per pass dropped significantly in the second half. So I, I think if time of possession, they held it less in the second half. I think total was 36 minutes for Stephen F. Austin, where it was uh, by, at, when it's all said and done, 23 minutes. Alcorn State was able to put together some drives. It just, when they needed that last drive, uh, they just felt the time just ran off the clock. Uh, but I thought it was an impressive game regardless by Alcorn State. They before that, the the drive to really go ahead, uh maybe maybe it was a what third quarter to jump back in the lead was an impressive drive. But it's just that last drive, they just ran they just ran out of time. Yes, PJ Jones, I look to see your breakdown on this as well. Just for those that are listening, they rushed for 285 yards. Now Stephen F. Austin was much more balanced. They could only rush for 150 three yards, but um, they threw for 226 yards uh, as Trey Self got three touchdowns. Aaron Allen, interesting to see what that looks like. He had a touchdown, but an interception. 
Uh, but uh, Javon Howard, Duffy, as we know, Nico Duffy continues to do his thing. He had 11 carries for 73 yards. But um, Javion Howard was the big carrier with 21 carries, 194 yards, and a touchdown. Where did you see things start to go wrong? Second half, obviously, they gave up 21 points where they could only score three, including zero in the third quarter, not to be able to answer the 14 that Stephen F. Austin Lumberjacks put up. Go ahead, BJ. You're on mute. Oh, number one thing uh, that Doc talked about that is they allowed the uh, allowed me to receive Stephen F. Austin to get lost in coverage. I mean, if you look at some of those touchdown passes, man, they were wide open. They were wide open, and you, know, you can't do that with a team like Stephen F. Austin. That's what they want to do. Um, and then offensively, man, it was just shooting themselves in the foot. Um, you know, that run game was, was amazing in the first half. Uh, was not as strong in the second half. And, it, and this game was literally the, the tale of two uh, two halves. You had one uh, half, which was dominated by Alcorn State. And then you had the, the next half, which, you know, the Lumberjacks and Stephen, Stephen F. Austin pretty much dominated. And, you know, for Alcorn, this again, this could have, would have, should have. You know, they mm-hmm. had this, the same opportunity with McNeese um, a few years ago. Now you have a you know nationally ranked Stephen F. Austin comes into the reservation. You have it. You have it again. Uh, and now, you know your next two games, you got to go to Tulane, and you have another shot at McNeese. Well, I think this Alcorn State team, um, I, I, th- I think they're going to be okay. I think that this is going to be a uh, team that's going to be right there in the thick of the Western uh, Division race when we start talking about the uh, Southwest Athletic Conference. I'm gonna stay with you, B.J. Jones, to talk about this other one. Was another one of those interesting matches where you let it get away, that Tennessee State uh, getting defeated 36-29 to 29 by Eastern Washington Eagles on that red carpet out there, if you would. Um, it seemed like Tigers, from what I watched, and I pretty much watched that game the whole time, they were able to do what they want to do uh, offensively. They do some big plays, certainly could run the ball. Uh, they ran for 290 yards, uh, only allowed 126, but uh, – the backside of that defense in terms of passing, they gave up 348 yards and five touchdowns to Gunner um, from Eastern Washington as he just did what he wanted to do. What were your thoughts in terms of that game? Um, well, offensively, it looks good, man. That offensive line can move some people. Uh, man, they're good. Defensively, man, you got to get a pass rush against Eastern Washington. That's, that's their forte. They throw the ball. Uh you think about Mike Leach at Washington State, that's what Washington, uh, Eastern Washington does uh, down on the carpet, man. They don't play much defense, uh, but, man, they can score in a hurry. And since he said he didn't get a pass rush, uh, which was a recipe for a disaster, and then Eastern Washington just picked them apart. Uh, and then since he said he still had a chance, opportunity right there at the end, um, and then capitalized on it. But very impressed with Tennessee State uh, in this football team. Yeah, as you alluded to, they, I mean, there were several times in the game where they got some third downs uh, and just could not come up with the big stop. And they just would make the play and they'd find a way to score and answer a lot of what Tennessee State was doing. Uh, Mike, what were your thoughts on this Tennessee State tight Eastern Washington game from your perspective? Well, much the same. I think uh, the ineffective ability to get after the passer, I mean, Eastern Washington had, what, 350 yards in the air alone. Another another 126 rushing, um, so uh, that that inability in and of itself says that 
you know, Tennessee State, you know, as impressive as they may look and throughout the throughout the rest of the season, they just weren't able to get after the quarterback. Second, uh, discipline, you know, look at seven, you know, uh, Eastern Washington only had set six or seven penalties for 50 yards, whereas Tennessee State had 12, 13, and I'm kind of paraphrasing because I couldn't pull the numbers up, 12 or 13, if I recall, for just right at 100 yards. Um, so, you know, yeah, Tennessee State, you know, for all intents and purposes, uh, kind of shot themselves in the foot a lot of times. You, you look at the more penalties, but they held the ball longer. They held the ball 34 minutes, whereas Eastern Washington, even though they had more total yardage, uh, I'm sorry, Tennessee State, even though they had more total yardage, uh, Eastern Washington was e- able to do more with less. So un- uh, unfortunate opportunities that, uh, that Tennessee State was unable to take advantage of. So it was it was impressive. I thought I was going in and out of the game, and I thought Tennessee State actually had a chance. They they had some shine there. So uh, good play from the team. Uh, I think if you look at the box score, I forget, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Ellis, uh, quarterback Ellis had 260 yards passing. Uh, again, Talkington from uh, Eastern Washington had what 350 yards. So uh, that air attack really kind of killed uh, Tennessee State. Yeah, man. Let's take this uh, second break. We'll come back. I want to get into that uh, Duke Mayo Classic game where the Eagles took it to the Aggies. Um, I think the score is not quite indicative of how that game was played. And then we'll get into that Howard game that uh, with that vaunted late 22 points, but just not enough as Hampton gets it done at home, 31 to 28 over Howard. Uh, North Carolina Central gets it done over the Eagles, 28 to 13. So we'll come back after this break and break that down and talk about those games before we get into some of these key matchups today where everybody wants to hear about this FAMU, Jackson State. Fascinating to see how that goes, uh, and it will even get bigger and better next weekend. So let's take in our second break, get back around, talk a little bit more about some of these matchups from yesterday, see what B.J. Jones, the football guru, and Mike Washington, the data doctor, uh, as some people talk about those data points, see what he thinks uh, coming out of this. Come back after this break right now. When we invest in ourselves, our glow, our vision, our vibe. We all shine. Together, we are black beyond measure. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. Slowburn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge, featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website, www.slowburnwaco.com. That's www.slowburnwaco.com.
press the analytic data with your hip hop If you know them like I know them They gon' tell you if your team If they wanna love laugh and who the ball so listen to Professor Yesler yes, and pay attention because he's going to teach a lesson. This is Dr. Mill with Inside HBC Sports Lab with the, the professors, B.J. Jones and Mike Washington. Let's get into this Howard Hampton game, the battle of the HUs. Boy, Howard, man, they just right there on the edge, can't quite put a full game together. They go down early, uh, 14-6 at the half. Uh, Hampton comes back in the third, puts up a seven spot, keeps Bison scoreless. Howard puts up 22 points, but they give up 10 in the fourth quarter, and that's the rest of the game as they lose 31-28. B.J. Jones, in terms of this matchup, what stood out to you? I mean, I'm be honest with you, Doc. We got to the third quarter. I thought Hampton had put it, put it away. I kind of thought that, that kind of Howard was, you know, was kind of done for. Then I went back and checked it, and I checked the score, and I was like, whoa, I was making the move, and I went in and, you know, tuned into it. And, you know, Howard offensively, they have to decide what they want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like you have these stable of, of running backs. Like, I understand you really couldn't use them once you got down um, late uh, yesterday, man, but you got you to gotta use them. And, and it seems like, man, their offensive identity, they don't know what it is. Defensively, uh, you know, Howard plays pretty solid. Um, I love that the kid, Tim, on the defensive uh, on the defensive uh, line. He was everywhere oh, yesterday yeah. in the second half. Um, but, man, yesterday it just felt like they gave Hampton one. Uh, and now you're 0-2, um, and, and the schedule doesn't get any easier for Howard. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. They have some really nice schedule in terms of some intriguing opponents. Um, they better be thankful for the Morehouse game, but if they're not careful, uh, you'll find out just like you kind of seen with Lane and Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff got out of there, but that was a close one. Uh, just uh, finding a way to get it done. Uh, but, Mike, what are your thoughts in terms of this Howard and Hampton matchup? I don't know. I, I can't put my hands on it because, I mean, here's, here's why. Statistically, if you look at it, this should have been Howard's game, Okay. Um, you look at total yard. I mean, total yards. Yeah, it's kind of even, four thirty to the Hamptons, four hundred and eighty-four. Uh, passing three hundred forty yards. Um, ten ten yards per pass, whereas Hampton only had six. You look at rushing attempts. I think you're starting to get it. Rushing attempts, yards. That's where it fell off. That average dropped off because I was like, what happened here? Uh, time of possession, Howard. Um, and if you look at the yards per rush up until, the, I'd say, the end of the third, going into the fourth quarter, that number was in favor of Howard. By the time we finished the game, that number had flip-flopped uh, to in favor of Hampton. Ten yards per rush, only 2.3 for Howard. So you wonder, you know, did they just, uh, I don't know, fall asleep at the wheel? Did they slip? I mean, because for all intents and purposes, really, Howard played a heck of a game. I thought this was Howard's opportunity to get a win, but it just unfortunately didn't happen. And the, and the numbers don't really show it when they show it, you know, on a total game basis. But if you look at that third and fourth quarter set of data, there's a lot of data points that show, that that lead to one or two things. Either Hampton just started playing better 
or Howard just kind of slowly gave up the lead, not, you know, not knowing or lost some efficiency in the third and fourth quarter. So I can't still put my hands on to it, but it was a, you know, good solid win for Hampton <clears throat> and a tough loss for Howard. Yeah. You talk about the MEAC in this case, uh, losing a game, but they got it back. Uh, when you go into that Duke, Duke Mayo game with North Carolina Eagles really taking it to A&T. Um, first quarter was one of those games, 7-7. Seven, seven. Uh, then uh, Central put up 14 points in the second quarter and only gave up six. So you go in the half, leading 21-13. You come back in the third and put up another, and that was essentially the game as they win 28-13. B.J. Jones, what were your thoughts in terms of this matchup? Um, and I'm fascinated on your top – Five Tuesdays, uh, your Twitter space is how that's going to go this week. Because um, I know you asked a question, and I was fascinated to hear it. You said, what happens if you all do not win this game? And some people were quite frank with you. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I'm fascinated to hear what's going to go on Tuesday because I'm sure there's not going to be, be some happy Aggies out there, some very excited Eagles in terms of that matchup. So go ahead, DJ Jones. What's your thoughts on that? In 1966, Howie Wolf released the song called Going Down Slow. And that is a microcosm of the North Carolina A&T football program. They've been going down slow. Uh, and I've been saying this for a couple of years. This is not the same um, run Broadway football team. This football team is undisciplined. You saw that. Uh, you, you saw chinks of that against FAMU when they had players get ejected a couple of years ago. You've seen the penalty yardage. Then mm. I've on this one. Now you've lost key pieces of that staff court the court. It's now gone. Um, you lose your, you know, your running back coach. You're now the head coach of the State. This program has been going down slow. And I predict that North Carolina Central would beat them. Um, they know that it was going to be in this fashion. I felt like North Carolina Central kind of rising. When you look at it, this game could have been a lot worse. North Carolina uh, Central turned the ball over. There's some opportunities where they could have stretched this thing out. Uh, but if you're North Carolina A&T, man, you, you got to try to figure out what's going on. Now, there was a, a bright spot. That Yankee kid, the quarterback, is the real deal. Uh, he is the real deal. Uh, but, man, everywhere else, man, you got to go to Fargo, North Dakota next week, and then you got to go to Duke after that. I mean, the Aggies may be staring 0-4 square in the face before they even get the conference play. Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing they can have is they're in the Big South for conference play. Uh, you only have the, the five games you play in the second half of the season, but if this team – Hopefully not too demoralized because it can get ugly pretty quick and you got to see them fight back and see what that looks like. We've seen it done. South Carolina State uh, had that tough early schedule. Everything that would go on went wrong. They finally got the win uh, before they go right into conference play and they get it done there. But uh, on on Thursday, we had Joshua Sims Sr. here and he told everybody that would listen to what was going to happen. So, Mike, what were your thoughts in terms of this game, I watched it, and I was just like, man, Eagles look good. Well, big surprise. <laughs> let's, let's, let's back up a little bit. <clears throat> you know, going into the season, who was picked to win at least to be at the top of their uh, division? Uh, let's wait for it. Wait for it. The North Carolina uh, Anti-Aggies. 
They're expected to bounce back this season. You know, they suffered a, a big L last season. I think they only had 12, 13 touchdown passes. Uh, so they had a new quarterback coming in. They still had some big names, Jermaine McDaniel. Uh, the guy had, what, 15 sacks in, in 2019, or at least over 15 or more sacks the last couple of seasons. Linebacker Jacob Roberts, cornerback Karan. They had, they still had some good players, and they were expected to build up and, to, you know, make a good run in the Big South. However, fast forward to <laughs> fast forward yeah, to however. This, yeah, however, <laughs> data points, fast forward. I was I told you guys in the break, I was not surprised that North Carolina Central won. Just in the way they won. I mean, that take that game, if you watch that game, it that's it looked more than the score that's indicated on the scoreboard. Data points alone here. I mean, third down efficiencies. Um, I think uh, North Carolina Central was an order of magnitude better. That's execution, that's discipline. Um, I mean, you look at how they pass the ball. It's not that they got 200 bucks, but they spread the ball evenly across three or four uh, receivers, and no one stood out. But, I mean, between Taylor Smith and Barnes, I mean, you know, they were spreading the ball pretty evenly. So that looked like a balanced offense. And, you know, you look on the A&T side, you know, you had Jaeger, you, had, you know, you had Jaeger as uh, the leading rusher and the leading passer. He's good. But he, uh, the next leading rusher only got 20 yards, and after that, there was nobody else. So I was just surprised in the fashion that North Carolina Central, that defense, man, they gave North Carolina A&T a, a day and a half of trouble. So, Yeah, great point. So I'm going to get in some of these scores that stood out to me. Uh, the Bulldogs, Bowie State, just continues to get it done. They get a big win. New Haven, they win 27-20. to 20. People will question to see where Bowie State – would be a lot of pick them still at the top, but you still had that question mark, at least coming out of the gates. They get a big uh, win, home game, but they get it done against New Haven 27-20. to 20. So I thought that kind of stood out. Yeah, that Edward Waters, Clark Atlanta. Clark Atlanta gets on the board and gets a big win, 39-34, to 34, as they go on the road and get that done to Edward Waters. So Edward Waters is down to 0-2 as they are in the picture there. Langston, Oklahoma, uh, 48 to 13 at home over Pan, Oklahoma Panhandle Woo. State. That was a pretty good one. I know some people kind of questioned to see what Langston was. I told you, I believe they're strong. Um, they're just quietly out in the West, and they just keep chugging. You know they were disappointed how they ended last season, but they found to get a win there. That was pretty good. Um, so I thought that was a big one uh, in terms of a crucial win. You had uh, Benedict getting it done for the SIC over the CIAA. 52 to 14 as they stomp out the Vikings. That was a pretty impressive one just to sit out there. Um, Henry Frazier III's debut, uh, rough start. Lenore Rhymes, pretty strong. So you can see what happened there. They lose uh, 38 to 13 in terms of that matchup. Morehouse kind of stuck with it. West Alabama, but couldn't get it done 24 to 16. I uh, wanted to keep your eyes on there. Savannah State, a lot of people had eyes on Savannah State. Transitioning coach, it didn't start out least well in terms of his debut at Southeastern. Uh, Trumbles, I mean, just beats up on Savannah State. The Tigers, 34 to 14. That game was in Savannah in terms of what it looked like there. So that was interesting. Arkansas Baptist brings back their football team, and they get a big win, open it up. They win 31 to 12 over Texas College. So that's one to think about. Alabama, Albany, 
all money, as Mike likes to say, they say in those parts. They keep pushing forward as they get a big win over Mississippi College, 28-14, to start off the road there. So I want to give a shout-out. Fayetteville State, looks like they're solid. They continue to do it. They get a big win over UNC Pembroke, winning 15-13. to uh, Slugfest there, but they hold on for the victory. So I thought I would give some love to mid-major programs out there with some pretty big scores. You see them, so you got some big wins there. So it'll be interesting as we continue to see the road gets on there. Uh, Kentucky State does fall to Delta State 33-10. Um, so pretty good there. West Virginia State, a victory over Shippingsburg 29-6. Uh, obviously, Virginia Union does everything they want to Virginia Lynchburg uh, 77-0. It's going to be a long season for Virginia Lynchburg as they play a lot of MEAC teams too. So if that's in the indication, it's going to be a tough one. With that, let's take our last break, come back in and talk about the key matchups of today. As we get on the board and let you know our thoughts down in Miami, as this should be a good one. That's a 2 o'clock p.m. kickoff, Miami Gardens Hard Rock Cafe between Jackson State FAMU. I have it as a two versus three. Orange Blossom Classic 2, and it is on ESPN 2. You also have a game over there, Central State, Winston-Salem State, the Black College Football Hall of Fame Classic in Canton, Ohio. That'll be fascinating. And we got the Red Tails on ESPNU. That's a 6 o'clock game between Tuskegee and Fort Valley State. The Central State and Winston-Salem State game is at 3 o'clock Central for those that are going to be look, looking to check that out. Uh, try to follow it if you would. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this break and break down those three games of the day uh, before I get these gentlemen to tell me what games we need to watch out for next week. As you get into week two, it's moving. That's that fast. takes everything to get here, but then when it turns, it turns. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this last break. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. Slowburn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge, featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website, www.slowburnwaco.com. That's www.slowburnwaco.com. Itchy, squirmy, scratchy, family not getting clean. Get Charmin Ultra Strong. Go get them. It just cleans better. With a diamond weave texture, your family can use less while still getting clean. Goodbye, itchy squirm. Hello, clean bottom. <laughs> <laughs> we all go. Why not enjoy the go with Charmin? Bounty versus the old family dish towel. Drying with a fresh sheet of Bounty leaves your hands cleaner than a used dish towel that can carry and redistribute food residue. So ditch the dish towel for better hand hygiene. Bounty, the quicker picker-upper. Press the analytic data with your hip-hop. If you know them like I know them, they're going to tell you if your team, if they want to lock yeah, and read about, about. So listen to Professor Yesa yes, and pay attention because he's going to teach a lesson. This is Dr. Bill with Inside HBC Sports Lab. Before we get in these three matchups, let me give a shout-out to LaShawn Harris, Emma Price, jumping in here, Jimmy Wilson. Congratulations, Jimmy. Good win yesterday. I'm in the lab. Let's go. Anthony Johnson, he shout-out to G-Boom Holly, said he needs those picks from last night. We got Kerry Mickens say bully ball equals PD football. Yeah, that's a good point. It surely was. They just ran all over the Tigers. 
trying to work on them now as he gets some pictures out. G. Boom Holly says he's getting them out. Emma Price is good morning. Dennis Hudson is in here. Chuck Hunt. Uh, Carrie Mickey. George Suggs got in here. Karen Griffin. Erlene Collier. Greg Williams cleaning up the RV, listening to HBC Sports Lab football season is here. My favorite part of the year. Yes, yes. Put in that work with the RV. I know they were out big time this last night. Let me give a shout out. You know, we all, Eric Duby, he clean. I ain't no problem with that. I always like his style. They came out with them suits, BJ Jones, walking in. What do you think of them suits? I know you're trying to get your hands on at least the jacket. That was big. Man, you tell him you need to find out who the tailor is. What you hey, thought? I know the tailor. I know the tailor. That's a killer board about it. I know the tailor. Oh, wow. Man, Man, I even that, thought about getting me one that's so clean. Not for real. <laughs> Man, they was clean though, man. Man, they look good, man. A real professional look, man. Hey, I mean, I, I knew about it this summer. They decided to go with the full suit instead of just the blazer. I was like, oh man, this this, this is gonna be nice, man. But I, but I really liked it, man. I really liked. It. Yeah, I knew, I knew you would. I was like, that's all I thought about when I see it. DJ Jones and <laughs> Shout out to Juan C. Hill. He was running around there, staying dry even in the rain. The man don't get wet. How you do that, Juan? He says, "Good morning, Jerry Johnson." Who else we got in here? Lennett is in the house. Uh, Reuben Hogan, Douglas Robinson, Michael Lee is in here. J-Mac, I've been in the, the gump for the Red Tails Classic. Okay, so we're going to get some good pictures from J-Mac down there. I know Karen Griffin, uh, Langston, 4813, as she puts it out there. I know, I know it, I know it. Professor not ready for one of these ascots. <laughs> I hear you, but everything else is nice. Charles Bishop is checking us out as he gets ready. Charles Bishop, we're going to talk a little bit if you want to jump in here. Just go ahead. We finna do our last segment to talk about the matchup there. So if you want to piece this, you can share a little bit in there. We'll let Roy tell Roy to let you in. Uh, checking out things. Uh, Edwin Dwight Moore jumping in here. Let's start it out with the Red Tail Classic, Tuskegee, Fort Valley State. It's on ESPN. Uh, Tuskegee got dump truck last year by Fort Valley State. But there's a coaching change. There's a new coach uh, that moves over from Miles College. Will that make a difference? I'm sure. But will it be enough for them to get the win, starting with you, B.J. Jones? What are your thoughts on this Tuskegee-Fort Valley State game? Man, Tuskegee coming in with a lot of momentum. Um, coach Reggie Ruffin was able to bring in a lot of talent. Um, brought, you know, the top two uh, rushers from Miles College last year. And they're now, you know, at Tuskegee, man. He was able to bring in the quarterback transfer from Alabama State. They were able to kind of, you know, kind of infuse that program uh, with some talent. And they got some positive momentum. They got a lot of construction, new construction going on at Tuskegee, particularly when you start talking about athletics, which has been a complaint uh, from Tuskegee alumni uh, for decades now. So I think they got a lot of positive momentum. Fort Valley State also has a coaching change as well. Um, if I'm, I'm leaning Tuskegee right now. I think it's going to be a, a highly contested game. Uh, but I'm mm. leaning Tuskegee. Nice lean, nice lean with the lean. You tend to lean right more than wrong. So let me think about that one too. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts in terms of that red tail class? I'd say not so fast, my friend. Tuskegee, you know, they this is <laughs> this is a second. Fort Valley beat them 30 to uh uh-uh in the first red tails classic, you know. Um, but you know, the Golden Tigers do lead the all-time series. Um, what is it, 30 to 20 or something like that? Tuskegee is coming off of what three in a million uh, season last year, uh, when and and which it went two and four in the fourth quarter, uh, in the uh, uh, 
the Western Division. So I don't know. They bought in a new price, a lot, a lot of pieces, as you allude to. They bought in a new coach. I don't know if that's enough to overcome that gap that they had in last year's game. Although that's only one data point. Uh, Fort Valley went what, what five and five, three and three, and placed fourth in the SIAC. How big a jump do we expect them to make? So, uh, mm. for the, so. I, I'm I'm not gonna go go with the Tuskegee uh, uh, Tuskegee uh, team this year. I'd like to. Sounds good. They made a lot of changes, but I got to go with Fort Valley. Not and not because my my wife and father in law is there, and they were they they're probably gonna go back and look at this as well. But just because the data point says that's a big jump, <laughs> so smart I'm man, gonna... happy wife, happy life. We know about that <laughs> one. So we'll let you. <laughs> do that. Charles says he's sitting here with a walkthrough, just looking in and checking us out. Appreciate you. Much love to you. Uh, as we get all of data points from Charles Bishop on Tuesday, should be interesting. As we sure will tune in. Before we get to that big game, though, we got another one Central State, Winston Salem State. This is another SIAC CIAA matchup. Earlier, Benedict got one for the SIAC. Will they be 2 0? Or will we get a split one? This one is in Canton, Ohio, Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium. As I said, 3 o'clock Central Standard Time, the Black College Football Hall of Fame Classic. That should be fascinating. Let me stick with you, Mike. What are your thoughts on this Central State, Winston-Salem State match? Yeah, I think I, I think I go with Winston-Salem State. I think they're always a, a strong team. They bring a strong defensive front uh, to it. Um, so I, I'll, I'll go – I'll pick Winston-Salem State over Central in this one. Shout out to Drew as he's checking out as well. Uh, getting around here, man, big time, big time people, big time plays. BJ Jones, who's gonna make the big time plays in this Central State, Winston Salem State matchup? Man, I think it's gonna be Stephen J. Gaither's Winston Salem State Rams, man. I think that, you know, they are, you know, they decided to, uh, you know, hold over the coach, interim coach. A lot of people didn't make a lot of people happy, but um, I think they do return a lot of talent. Uh, Winston Salem State. And we've seen Winston Salem State uh, when they can hit on all cylinders. This is a team that almost beat North Carolina Central um, a year ago. I think that they're going to come in this game focused. I think that the now current head coach, uh, former interim coach twice, has something to prove. And I, I'm going to lean. Uh, I like the Rams in this. With that, let's get in here sticking with you. Let's go into this Jackson State FAMU matchup. What is going to go down in this matchup? We find out now that Land is back on the field. He did get um, some reprieve from the NCAA, as well as quite a few other players. It'll be interesting to see how much difference that will make. We saw what family did against North Carolina Central. That has a lot of people uh, excited, although with everything going on. But now they have some of that on the film. How much of that will make a difference to you, B.J. Jones, in this matchup between Jackson State and family? And it's definitely uh, an advantage when you talk about Dennis Thurman defensively when he's able to scheme up, um, you know, having that film on this FAMU offense. Um, But it's also a disadvantage for Jackson State because I always tell people this, you don't know what you have until you line up against someone in a different colored jersey. And I heard people say, oh, yeah, man, we look good. We look good against you. Yes, you do. Um, you look good when you don't have a focal point to compare that to. Um, so I, I think that that's an advantage for FAMU. They have gone out live bullets and played a, a, an entire ball game. 
and I've had to come back to correct some things. Right now, Jackson State really don't know what they have to correct, what's their strengths or what, what's their weaknesses. So that's an advantage towards FAMU. Watch Charles want to jump in now. <laughs> ah, watch. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but with that said, it's a good point of this, and don't take this the wrong way because folks Jackson State going to jump in here. I said, we saw that with Texas Southern. Everything mm-hmm. told us what we saw in terms of – and they put in the work. I've seen it in terms of mm-hmm. the offseason, the summer coming back, and it just did not transfer on the field in terms of that. Obviously, Jackson State is a different beast. With that said, let me go to Mike and see his thoughts on this matchup between FAMU and Jackson State. Will it live up to the hype is the first question. Last year's game ended up being a classic. We saw them get the uh, lead leg, and Jackson State held on to the – uh, rest of the conference and FAMU did their part, but it was just not enough after losing that first matchup, seven to six, crazy type of game. What are your thoughts on this one, Mike? A uh, couple of data points. Uh, different year, whole year later. We know the story last year. Difference is Jackson State's put in a lot of work. Got a whole new offensive line. They got Travis Hunter. However, FAMU comes to the game with, with a Vanderbilt transfer who showed us that he is as advertised. Um, they'll be looking a lot better. They got uh, they got some key players back. Uh, they got Land uh, back, of course. Uh, they, here's, a, here's the thing that I found in, uh, on defense. You know, FAMU, they'll need to contain that passing attack. But a year ago, the Rattlers were the only team that didn't allow Jackson State to reach the end zone through the air. So what was the secret sauce in that in that approach defensively? I think that that can't be forgotten. So, uh, again, they'll have uh, Bowler and Land coming back, key. They've proven that, you know, they can compete despite all the turmoil that they've had over the last year. So interesting data points, how they match up. I think it will live up to the hype. Um, but uh, and most if you look at the over and under, most folks have Jackson State winning like 21-10, 21-15. I don't know where they're getting their numbers from, but I actually see uh, FAMU maybe uh, edging this one out. BJ Jones, which direction are you going? Uh, who do you think ultimately pulls it out? I'm going to roll with Jackson State, but I would not be shocked to see FAMU win. This one, this is why. If Jackson State isn't significantly better on the offensive line, FAMU will win the football game going away. Mm. Right? If they're not – if they're not – when I say significantly better, they have to be significantly better um, to win this football game. I'm going with Jackson State because I roll with the champ because someone beats them. And for some reason, Jackson State has always had FAMU's numbers. You look at the days uh, – the Hail Mary. You look at the days where – uh, Willie Simmons, uh, yes. when he first got to FAMU. Jackson State has, I mean, FAMU oftentimes has had the better team on paper, and it hadn't made a difference. Jackson State has found a way to get it. I think that that may continue today, but trust me, I would not be shocked to see the Rattlers uh, put one on them today. Great point. Edwin White Moore has something similar. He says JSU had a new offensive line last year. After the stream, what hasn't changed is the offensive line coach. Uh, good point, and we'll see – that data point and see what it looks like in terms of this matchup. In terms of next week before we turn it off, these are some of the games that stick out to me that should be interesting to keep your eyes on. Bowie State goes on the road. Saginaw Valley State talked about a little bit of that matchup, what they're going to do off the field in terms of that matchup. But we won't see what Bulldogs, uh, are they able to continue to make these statements. You got the Austin P versus Mississippi Valley State. 
You got a South Carolina State versus Bethune-Cookman. That's on Daytona Beach, Florida. It's always a big matchup. Um, Bethune-Cookman always comes to play against South Carolina State. It's a MEAC swag, another chance, another data point between those teams. Should be interesting to see what that looks like uh, to some degree. So I'm fascinated that. Before we can even get this game in, you got the Jackson State-Tennessee State matchup there. You got Grambling State versus Northwestern State. That's in Shreveport, Louisiana. In terms of that matchup, that's going to be fascinating. Keep your eyes on that. Me, uh, Allen versus Johnson C. Smith, another SIACCIAA matchup. Uh, we'll continue to kind of keep you abreast on that. Hampton, Tuskegee, uh, as you look at it. Morgan State, Townsend, uh, in terms of what's going on there. You got North Carolina Central, Winston-Salem State. I'm fascinated about that matchup. You got Prairie View. On the road to Abilene Christian, tough non-conference matchup, but a good one to get another chance against the FCS team. Will Prairie View be the one to get it done? They're one of the last programs that are able to get an FCS win. They play a lot of them, so they'll get three chances because they have Lamar uh, as well on the schedule um, in terms of what that looks like, and we'll follow those throughout the year. That's pretty much some of the key ones, Fort Valley State, Kentucky State, in terms of their conference matchup. Of those games or another one that you want to pull on the table, B.J. Jones, which of those matchups kind of piques your interest in terms of what you look for pushing forward the next week already? Uh, Definitely Bethune-Cookman and South Carolina State. Um, That that one definitely jumps out to me. Um, Also, man, Prairie View, man. He can Prairie View keep that positive momentum um, Mm -hmm. going up against Abilene Christian. And then, of course, man, Jackson State and Tennessee State, man. I think that that's going to be uh, an amazing matchup there. Um, and, and we'll see how Jackson State does today. Uh, and, and they'll kind of give me a little bit more as we go into that matchup next week. I feel the same way. Those are the ones that kind of stood out to me among a couple of other ones. Let's go to you, Mike Washington. What are your thoughts on some of some key matchups as we get into next week, week two? Uh, well, uh, first, I always like a, a, a strong swag meac ma- uh, matchup. It'll be an interesting data point to see who, number one, who wins that game, but more importantly, how they win that game. So that South mm-hmm. Carolina State Bethune Cookman game looks very interesting. Uh, you mentioned the Jackson State game uh, versus Tennessee. Tennessee State showed at least me something against Eastern Washington uh, to show that they can play. So we'll see how strong a game contest that is. Uh, in the Liberty Bowl, so I'm interested in that one. I, I'm interested in a Bowie State <clears throat> because they, they, I think they had to score 20 or 21 points in the fourth quarter to come back and beat New Haven. Bowie State is traditionally strong. It'll be interesting to see if they still have the sauce um, of years past. So those three games kind of stand out to me. I like all those. One more that I'm gonna push out there. I think is a little interesting too is that Albany State going on the road to FAMU in terms of Tallahassee. Yeah, uh, that will be a fascinating one is with the big game, you know, kind of had a letdown, uh, whether family wins or not, you go in there, can they get back up against a, what's going to be a game, Albany state team that's very talented, but they're going to be looking forward to play that game. So that's another one uh, that to me is a little watch out when you look at that FCS division two kind of matchups, uh, which way we'll go. That'll do it for us today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to inside the HBC sports lab. Make sure you share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. I am Dr. Kenyatta Kavir, the Dean of HBC Sports, coming from inside the lab in the College of HBC Sports with Mike Watson and Charles Bishop. Again, we want to thank you for listening to us, uh, Mike Watson and Charles Bishop, as we are every Tuesday and Thursday, 6 o'clock Central Standard Time. 
um, and Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. We'll be back on Tuesday to break down a little bit and give you some insight of what took place with these Sunday matchups. Follow me, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. That's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Inside HBCU Sports Lab 1 on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for Inside HBCU Sports Lab. Like and subscribe. Dream big. Continue to move forward. We will talk with you soon. Mike? Horse. DJ? Lecture. Roy? Leave it to the family rattlers. <laughs> Leave it to the rattler to mess up. Man, appreciate y'all. Roy was on it. He's on it. Took it a little bit.